Frankfurt Avenue. A notable street in Philadelphia with history reaching back to the early days of the country as a resting point for those traveling between Boston and Philadelphia. Once known as the King's Highway, the modern Frankfurt Avenue is now a long stretch that extends from the heart of Northeast Philadelphia to well beyond its suburbs. What was once a simple divide of neighborhoods became a divide of class, race, and crime. And now, dotted along the stretch are blocks of record-breaking drug use, assault, and in the mid to late 80s, a very particular case of a killer simply referred to as the Frankfurt Slasher. He is the sixth abbey victim in this area of the vulnerabilities of these women. Over time. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome back to A Dark Tale. I'm your host, Joe. And I'm James. Hi there. Hey there. Welcome <laughs> back. It's been a long time. A little bit. It's been about, what, four or five weeks? Something like that. And we're bringing you a good one this time. Sorry for the lapse. Today we're bringing you a hometown horror. Crimes which happened not really far from where we're sitting right now. Yeah. We live here in Philadelphia. is a uh, It's a city of neighborhoods, so uh, there's a lot of different names we're going to be throwing around in references to not only streets and roads, but also different neighborhoods. So um, that's a good point to bring up. Yeah, we're, we're, we'll probably be throwing a lot of like street names and things like that. So. And a lot of it coin. A lot of the names of the streets coincide with the names of the neighborhoods. So we'll try not to confuse you. So James, would you say that you've, uh, I mean, we've both had our, we've, we've spent enough time, we've spent our fair time in Frankfurt. Yeah. In the Frankfurt I had, I had to ride the bus on that same road every single day. School. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You I know, mean, I like, hung out in Frankfurt. I lived not too far from there for a short time. Friends from Frankfurt. It's a great part of the city. Or it can be. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's it's long. Like I'll I'll take that same stretch of road from this house to my house. I mean, it's not Frankfurt Ave. Uh, once it leaves the city, but yeah. it's the same road. Yeah. Um, the and, King's Highway. It was called. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I found out that I also lived not too far from where some of these murders actually happened. It was like the first place I I rented. So. That's right. This this story is going to revolve around a certain bar, which we'll detail in a second. But apparently James lived not too far from that very bar. Yeah. Around the same time, too. Weird. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, this story dates back. Uh, it's much older than the both of us. Yeah. Hey, just um, by a couple of years, though. Don't date us too much. <laughs> um, anyway, this story is a dark one. Mm -hmm. One of sexual assault, rape, and murder. And... This is a story that's largely considered unsolved. As a matter of fact, it it's officially unsolved. Yeah. Even though that we'll get into the details of a conviction later, yeah, but there was someone convicted. But, well, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. <laughs> when looking back at history, it's not often that things make us feel comfortable. 
about the past. So not looking at all that can be the same as saying is it's like it didn't happen at all as being ignorant to the past isn't a good thing. So since you lived so close, <laughs> you're the expert. Yeah, the um, well, the Frankfurt area of the 80s was a different one than what we see today. It's Surely. gone through drastic changes. And um, it's funny how a lot of the things that are happening mirror what happened back then. Things like um, the, the rise of drugs. We're dealing with a huge drug problem in Philadelphia today. As many cities are. Oh, yeah. But it's, it's nationwide. But when you see it. You know, when you see it on your hometown streets on a daily basis, mm -hmm. it's it's a shame. We always hope for the best, and uh, it's sad to see history sort of repeating itself. Yeah. Um, right now, it's it's not the greatest area to take a drive through, especially when you hit the area that goes under the L. That's the elevated train. Yeah. It wasn't always that way, though. But, I mean, in the 80s, it was a real bustling area. It was up and coming. There was shops everywhere. Like, the, mm -hmm. the it was... Mm -hmm. I, I think I think even, I remember I as a kid. I think even before then, you know, the 60s, 70s, 80s. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the period. whole area. I mean, Northeast Philadelphia in general was just kind of growing out of the growing metropolitan center area from Philadelphia. Now, see, you said northeast there and it's funny because as time goes on that northeast section of philadelphia that unofficial border is moving farther and farther back in the public's mind anyway yeah what people consider that's philadelphia has a very unique culture in that that regard we're very stubborn. <laughs> uh, what is considered... Yeah, a lot of people in Philadelphia won't consider Northeast Philadelphia, Philadelphia. Exactly. So it's like things like that. We're very tribal. <laughs> the city of neighborhoods. But anyway, Frankfurt in the 80s, it was it was huge. Um, shops on every block, sidewalk sales. Uh, Pat's music. Pat's music. Oh, that's on Frankfurt still, right? Yeah, but it's it, not it, what it used to no, be. No, it moved. It's actually off Frankfurt now, but mm. it's mm. it's not that corner shop anymore. No. It's no. So yeah, Pat's music, that was a staple uh, even back then. Um, but then you got like Chickies and Pete's, which isn't too far off Frankfurt Ave. You got... No, uh, that, that's a staple here in Philadelphia, yeah. especially since the 70s and, and the original yeah, spot. Not, not exactly the same, same area, but I'm saying along that stretch, you have a lot of history. A lot of history and... When we finally won the Super Bowl here, <laughs> um, that was where the Northeast mob of fans went to celebrate and drink each other into oblivion and do all the crazy things that Philadelphians do right. when one of our sports teams finally wins some things. <laughs> SEPTA was doing well and it was bringing in a lot of good business, but also... SEPTA, for those who don't know, is our transportation system here. Yeah. What's the acronym? South Southeastern Pennsylvania Trans Transit Authority. You told me that last time and I forgot. I will forget again. I wrote it every day. <laughs> <laughs> Shit you see on SEPTA. Um, that's a whole nother podcast in itself. It really is. We, we should, that's a show we, we should, should do. We I, should just we'll do just on the bus. We'll record it on the bus. <laughs> Interviews from SEPTA. That'd be amazing. Like, yeah. I, would, I would actually like like that. <laughs> like, that we could meet a lot of interesting people. I, just, I don't know. 
Just saying. Maybe. Maybe maybe that's something to discuss. You're listening to the building of another show while we're building a show. (laughs) So, there was a, a murder that happened. Just one? No. Well, yeah, for now, just one. It was Helen Patton in August of 1985. Now, before she was even found, the city was already kind of dealing with this other guy, Gary Heidnick. The shoemaker. Yeah, you mentioned, you brought him up on an earlier episode, but uh, he's another guy who inspired Buffalo Bill. He's one of several inspirations for Buffalo Bill. What was uh, was his gimmick? His gimmick was essentially the basement of Buffalo Bill's house. Yeah. Specifically, the well. From what I understand, Gary Heidnick, his well didn't go 10 feet into the foundation of his home, but enough to keep a person in there chained and um probably get into we'll get later. into it uh, yeah, yeah definitely. but uh but at the very least he he it kidnapped and raped six african-american women in, in the city um he held them in the pit there and incidentally we'll probably touch on this later but he was the last person to be put to death in pennsylvania yeah um there was also a string of murders by another man harrison graham aka marty graham big guy uh he also killed a string of women Seven women. Um, seven women. And uh, he also received the death penalty, but that would be overturned because they didn't see him to be mentally fit. He had an IQ, I think, of somewhere around 67. Yeah, I didn't get a lot of the details of what happened with the murders or, yeah. or him, but he was just, I think he was just a mentally unstable person. and he. Yeah, he didn't have much yeah. as far as supervision goes. Uh, Helen Patton, she was 52 years old. She lived outside of Frankfurt. People come into the city from the suburbs to whatever. They have a favorite watering hole or a group of friends that they want to see. And um, Helen Patton is one of those people. She lived in Bristol Township right outside of Philadelphia. And she was known to frequent a bar called the Golden Bar or as we'll be referring to, Goldies. Helen was very well known. She's a regular. She feels comfortable at Goldies. Mm -hmm. This is her spot. She goes out of her way to come here. And on August 19th of 85, Helen was found in a train yard not far from the bar that she frequented. Her clothes were ripped from the lower half of her body and her body was positioned in what was supposed to be a provocative manner. Her legs were left spread open and she had been stabbed 47 times between her head and her chest with also a large slash across her stomach exposing her internal organs to the elements. Helen was estranged from her husband at the time so when her body was found he was questioned obviously he told authorities the last time anyone saw helen was a week before her body was found so she's the only one we know of with a certain timeline she was seen a week before she was found meaning nobody had seen her in a certain amount of time the other victims are 
pretty much found either the day of, oh. the day after, okay. two days after. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, n- none of the other victims really follow that. Um, but there are a lot of other l- similar uh, details. Yeah, yeah, similar details. Yeah. So the next victim was Anna, <clears throat> Anna Carroll's, and she was also a little older. She was 68, and um, she was just found months later in January in 1986. Something interesting about her, she lived in South Philly, though. They found her body in her home in South Philly, which would be... Oh. The other side of the city, for anybody not familiar with it, you would cross the entire center area. You got to get, you got to cross the other side of the city. Anna Carroll went out of her way to come to Goldie's because this was her spot. This was where she felt. It was a regular bar. Comfortable and where her people were at. Um, So we can only speculate that somebody either knew Anna, knew where she lived, or was just compelled to kill women and followed her and she met her demise and she was posed the same way it was it was a provocative pose and she was uh, her clothes were torn she was nude from the waist down um she wasn't stabbed as much she was only she was i i say only but she was stabbed six times in the back still still brutal, yeah, brutal. in the back and, so, um, i mean that tells me she was running and she was trying to get away. Yeah. But yeah. there was also a post-mortem wound. Yeah, another one similar to the first victim. It, only this one was a vertical wound instead of across the belly. It was from her from her, um, from her, her throat down to her groin. Jesus. Or her chest, excuse me. It was uh, from her uh, That's like breast, gutting a uh, deer. Breastbone. So, yeah, it was like trying to open up an animal. Probably, I don't know what the purpose of that is at that point. That is rage. Uh, so almost a year later, matter of fact, Christmas Day, 1986, Susanna Olzeff is 74 years old. She's found dead in her home on Richmond Street. Now, again, she's only, we say only very lightly, been stabbed six times. And following her death, uh, this is when police make the one connection to Goldie's bar. Yeah, that they that they had at least hung out there. Right. That was really the only connection they had made. Um, Richmond Street also, for those not in the know, it's only a few blocks off of Frankfurt Avenue, off, off a certain point and not far. Right. So shortly thereafter, we have 28-year-old Jean Durkin, and Jean was homeless. She was found underneath a, a truck off Frankfurt Avenue. Now, she was known to sleep in, like, all the, the shop doorways mm-hmm. by the bar mm-hmm. on Frankfurt Avenue. Yeah, it's, just, it's like a little enclosure. It's, it's yeah, a little yeah. warmer. And then uh, uh, various patrons of, the, of Goldie's and another bar, I should mention, the Happy Tap, um, knew Jean. So they would pass her on the street, mm-hmm. help her out, give her money, food. And uh, we're very friendly with her. I don't know if that's a strange thing to if if anybody outside of a large city um, hears that. If that's a strange thing to like know a homeless person, but I can think of a couple times too where I just would see uh, the same person on my route and yeah, like I'm. Uh, well, there's people that I pass not every day, but I I know that that is their corner. Yeah, you know yeah. that's their spot. 
And um, yeah, it's just how it is. Nice, some a people lot of times, have, nice people have an area. And um, Jean was right around Goldie's, and unfortunately, she had been she she had been stabbed seventy four times and was nude from the waist down, as were the rest of the victims. And again, found underneath of a goddamn truck. Yeah, just in blood. So, I mean, at this point, the area knows what's going on. The area can feel it. There's the public the, is the, the, the pressure. getting scared. Yeah. yeah um, this was a street that at the time you, you know, kids could just kind of walk down, uh, even though they were kind of coming off of this Gary Heidnick situation and things like that. Yeah, but you know, Gary Heidnick wasn't going after kids. Well, neither was he either, but it's just the brutal nature of these killings compared to, say, Heidnick, who, I mean, kidnapped away. I'm not trying to compare murder here. No, we're not but, downplaying it. No, but, but just these, the, these people just kept finding bodies uh, to, of people they knew. But we're going to see, we're going to see some gaps here. You mentioned time passing. We're going to see some gaps here, mm -hmm. which I think definitely threw authorities off. Mm -hmm. But before we get into that, you mentioned the public's concern. They actually, after um, Gene Durkin was found, they, the, the public in the neighborhood um, all held a candlelight vigil in honor of the the three women, or excuse me, four women mm -hmm. at this point. Yeah. I just and, don't think anybody was in the news or the police had mentioned the phrase serial killer no. or anything like that. They had it in their head. They were pretty much unrelated other than the fact that they all frequented the same bar. Yeah, they just, they said that despite the similarities, the, the frequency of the death was uh, too low for, for that of a serial killer. So they were trying to basically phrase it as um, just all random murders. I forget who said that exact quote, but that is an exact quote. The frequency of the killings is too low because, right. because they were happening like maybe a year apart. And that's a city official, like a city, mm -hmm. somebody from Philly. Which is, which is absurd. We know now is... But what yeah, we know, maybe the police should have responded to the public outcry a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But I still want to say in defense of police or investigators that they didn't know what we know now back then about serial killer profiling and um that's true you know and looking just, yeah. for the signs of a serial killer so after what did we say a year january of 88 three blocks away from gene durkin where gene durkin is found 66 year old margaret vaughn was found stabbed 29 times with her with her body also left very provocatively and yeah, she. I, I remember. I guess I. I don't know why I left this out of our notes here, but um, yeah, these victims were sexually assaulted. Um, Margaret specifically had been sexually assaulted with an object that was found next to her. Yeah, it's it, terrible it, it, to think about. Yeah, about. it's. I mean, it's a lot. It is. It weighs heavy on you once you say these things out loud. I'm gonna have a beer after this one. I, yeah. I'm. I'm actually going to a bar in Frankfurt Avenue. Are you really? Kung Fu necktie. <laughs> Kung Fu necktie. <laughs> Man, we've come a long way. <laughs> anyway, back to Marge, as she was well known by, in the area, especially by all the people that knew her at the bars, at the Happy Tap, at Goldie's. Um, 
Though a witness was able to provide police with a sketch of a man she had been there with, I'll get into the details of the sketch. This man was described as a middle-aged white man who wore horn-rimmed glasses, sometimes a baseball cap, and had a bit of a limp. They, they question him, and they, they get his DNA. They swab him for DNA. They question him. He claimed to be some sort of a minister holding office in a church somewhere. I don't know if that's true. Not only are there murders with similar details, but there's a, now an eyewitness who presented a sketch. And that sketch is the profile of a middle-aged white man with horn-rimmed glasses and a bit of a limp. I don't know. I didn't know that he was, like, questioned, though. He was questioned, and his DNA was sampled. But nothing came of that. We'll get to that. Okay. So another year passes. We have our second lapse in activity, so to speak, uh, with anything matching these cases. Which, what we know for serial killers, totally fits. It can. Yeah, yeah, they can go, I mean, if anybody's followed the Golden BTK. BTK or more recently the Golden State Killer Mm -hmm. if anybody following that story went years almost uh, decades without having to do anything another year passes and in January 1989 Teresa Ciortino is 30 years old and found dead stabbed 25 times sexually assaulted found in her apartment only one block from Frankfurt Avenue and three blocks from the fifth victim. Now, I'm not, you know, an investigator, but you really have to start putting the pieces together. Just at a this couple. Point. Actually, I think I think that's what uh, it was after Teresa that the papers, everyone started saying serial killer. That was she is the, the powder keg to, uh, you know, light a fire under the police yeah. and, and the city's ass to get something done. Mm-hmm. The public was. Freaking out at that point. Man, I'm sure the neighborhood of Frankfurt was terrorized because, okay, one woman was found in South Philly. That's one woman. Everyone else is in the, in area. the neighborhood. Uh-huh. It's, that's, that's really scary. Walking beneath the market Frankfurt line, longtime yep. Philly reporter Walt Hunter still recalls the mood here in the late 1980s. As serial killer headlines popped up again and again. The people who live in Frankfurt would find themselves looking at the person next to them on the bar stool or coming down the street to the store and saying, hey, is that the slasher? With the explosion of fear that the media is portraying in the city and the papers, we have a seventh victim that is found. Carol Dowd, 46 years old, is found in an alleyway behind Newman Seafood on Frankfurt Avenue in April 1990. She was stabbed 36 times, sexually assaulted, and cut as to let her intestines spill about the scene. It was almost something like Jack the Ripper. Yeah, it's the same details. Police began to interview employees of the fish market where the body was found and came to a man named Leonard Christopher who happened to live right across the street from where he worked. Uh Uh-huh. Leonard Christopher is 38 years old and was one of the first employees questioned. He said on the day that Carol's body was found, he saw the police's activity outside the the seafood shop 
and he attributed it to being just another robbery or carjacking. Yeah, he thought it was a burglary because there was a couple of them that were happening too. When when police let him know that they were actually investigating a murder and not a robbery, he mentioned that he knew one of the victims, um, March, from from Goldies. He was also a regular a patron, there too, yeah, a patron of Goldies. Uh, uh, let me say this. Leonard Christopher knew Marge in the way you know your mailman. Yeah. You know your mailman's face mm-hmm. or her face. And you may even sit and talk with them for five minutes a couple times a week. Yeah. But you don't spend time with that person. You don't know that person on a personal level. Right, just so you don't really around. know them. Yeah, just somebody sitting around. This is how Leonard Christopher knew Marge. Like a lot of people. She like was, a lot of people. Just a friendly acquaintance uh-huh. at the bar. Hey, how you doing? Also, Leonard Christopher was spotted by two sex workers, one of which said that she saw him go into the alley with Carol Dowd. The second sex worker said that she didn't see anything. All she heard was a woman's scream. Now, another eyewitness account says that Carol Dowd was with this pudgy white guy with a limp and glasses walking down the street, not too far from Goldie's. And it matches the sketch. Right. So we have conflicting eyewitness accounts, and someone told police that Leonard was known to carry knives, which is inconsequential, really. Yeah. I've um, been known to carry a knife on occasion. I have a knife every day. Yeah. Um, Dudes just have knives sometimes. Not uncommon. Another eyewitness account was Leonard's boss. Leonard's boss told police that Leonard told her that he had witnessed a murder, but he did not want to go to police because Leonard feared for his life, thinking that the killer might know who has gone to police and come back for him in revenge. Um, Leonard's boss said all this because she said that he was acting paranoid and she wasn't sure if it was because of the potential of a serial killer being in the neighborhood or because, in fact, Leonard was the serial killer in the neighborhood. Interesting. So... There's no physical evidence at the time. There's no blood connecting Leonard Christopher to the scene. To Carol Dowd specifically. To Carol Dowd's scene, Um, yes. They didn't find a knife on him? They didn't find a knife on him. Uh, His friends and landlord all vouched for Leonard, saying that he's, uh, you know, he's a decent guy. He's got his fair share of problems like the rest of us, but... Overall, he'll give you the shirt off his back if you really ask. I think his not confirm his alibi too. Is like, what? yeah, he gave his alibi as he was home alone watching TV the, the night of the murder. Which, I mean, it's it's a terrible alibi to yeah, be honest. It's not something anyone can really attest to. Yeah, but that's also how I spend most of my nights. Yeah. So I mean, my girlfriend works nights, so a lot of my nights are spent alone, unfortunately. (laughs) Despite all this, oh, I should mention, Leonard Christopher was a black man. In April of 
1990, we covered an eighth killing that seemed to be in the Frankfurt slasher pattern. 46-year-old Carol Dowd disemboweled in this alley. But the suspect authorities arrested for Carol Dowd's murder didn't fit the sketch they'd been circulating. The man arrested was black, 38-year-old Leonard Christopher, who suddenly became the face of the Frankfurt slasher. And it's sad to say it was, it's unfortunate for him, you know, being black because I, th I think this is really the motive behind his arrest is, sucks. is so a racially food. motivated arrest on top of the compounded fear of the public amplified by the newspapers and the media mm -hmm. coming off of Gary Heidnick coming off of Gary so, Heidnick so as well as as Marty Graham you know the city itself as an entity is a, under a lot of pressure from its citizens to get something done so i think in that whirlwind of of their own fear the the city's fear uh, they they found a scapegoat in Leonard Christopher. I, I think that's a strong possibility. I think I'd, that is my assumption. That is my that's, that's belief my, in in I mean, reviewing this case. Common thought um, to anybody who seems to look into this case a little bit. The the, the police in the city constantly push back on the idea that of there being a serial killer, despite there nearly being three. Yeah. Um, and I really want to give them the benefit of the doubt with, you know, it being a sign of the times and they don't have the, 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 the knowledge that we have today. They don't have the information to uh, to assess a serial killer and profile a person the way you would today in this type of investigation. But you can't be so incompetent it seems and so uh, stressed to to arrest an innocent man. So let's look at what we know. There's no physical evidence connecting him to the scene, to Carol Dowd's murder. Um, there's no motive. For all intents and purposes, Leonard Christopher is a happy and humble tenant to his landlord. He pays his rent and his bills on time. His friends yeah. are willing to back him up with police, but then again... Most friends would. I was going to say, none of this really matters in, in, when it matters. in regards to a serial killer, does it? No, <laughs> you're, you're right. And in try in court, it, it won't hold up, mm -hmm. as we'll see. But I think we owe it to the man to give him a little bit of credit to say yeah, it, he was a scapegoat. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think so, too. That, and that's what makes it so troubling is because within the confines of the law, they have technicalities on their side where it's like, eh, well, we got them, so yeah. open and shut. But then what happened? Well, they threw another two charges on him on top of, yes, this man did get charged with Carol Dowd's murder. Yeah. And there's some twists in this, um, but he gets charged with first-degree murder, which is premeditated, if you don't know. He gets charged with burglary, even though Carol Dowd's personal effects are left on her person. Mm -hmm. Her purse and money are all at the scene. And oh, desecration they, of a corpse. Right? And desecration of a corpse because of the serious injuries done to the body post-mortem. So he's arrested. Leonard Christopher's arrested on May 4th, 1990 for the murder of Carol Dowd. 
and he's charged with her murder, but only her murder. Mm -hmm. So he's... Now, Carol Dowd's murder is connected... And he's sentenced, sentenced to life. Yeah, he's sentenced to life, and obviously he's proclaiming innocence the entire time. Mm -hmm. But before trial, there is an eighth victim. Michelle Denher, or Michelle Martin, as she was sometimes known, was found in her apartment with over 20 stab wounds. Michelle lived on the same street as Teresa Shurantino, and she knew Jean Durkin. Yeah, I heard that she was even a suspect for a short time. Michelle Denner was? Yes. No, I didn't read into yes. that. Yes, I mean, in the sense that, yeah, she was questioned for these same murders because, because I guess... Because she knew I guess them the, and... Exactly. She... Okay. Exactly. I can see that. And then she turned up as a victim herself. How about that? Isn't that insane? So I, it, it's all... But this, this murder occurred... While Leonard Christopher was yeah. awaiting trial for Carol Dowd's murder. Yeah, he was away. And it doesn't and he doesn't match up with the profile given at all or the eyewitness account that matched up with that sketch. He doesn't match up with the sketch. There's conflicting witness statements. There's conflicting evidence. There is a murder while the man is in prison or in jail awaiting trial. The sketch is which he will ultimately lose and go to prison. Mm -hmm. To this day. Isn't he? No, he's dead. Oh, he, he died. died. Yeah, no, he died of cancer. Oh, that sucks. Anyway, um, that's speculation, but he, that sketch just fits the profile of a serial killer more. What we know of the generalities of when you the, say sketch, you're talking the actual physical sketch that the eyewitness of the eyewitness sketch of the first suspect, the the middle aged white man with the limp who proclaimed to be a minister or something. Yeah. that fits way more in line with the standard serial killer of this nature if the if these are connected than someone like leonard christopher well the um, thing that's just screams at me is that we have at least two times where a victim is seen with this white minister mm -hmm. and yet this young now we've, we've young. been saying he's a middle-aged white guy leonard christopher is 37 38 but, but by all accounts he looks younger than his actual age mm -hmm. he's just has one of those faces so and he's also the opposite rate not the opposite race but he's a different <laughs> race i don't want to say he's the wrong race but he's not the right race for the sketch that's unfortunately a very large chapter in our justice system is what you said earlier is sorry you're black yeah <laughs> Like, it's, sorry, dude, it's you, what, you live near the crime scene? Oh, and you're black? Time to go to jail. History is very uncomfortable when we look at it. It, it goes to show you that the <laughs> justice system is broken and institutionally racist. Do you know some prisons refer to their inmates as residents? Yes. Yes. That's that. I, that's like, that's a non thing to me. But but, but uh, for it, me to weird. for um, a pr for an institution like a prison to refer to its inmates as residents, 
you're not a resident of a prison, okay? You don't want to be there. Yeah, you don't, but you, I, you pay rent if you're a resident. You yeah, pay a mortgage. True. <laughs> no, I know. I'm not. I, you I'm don't not work a thirteen cents a week. I don't think there's any harm in it. Like, <laughs> just I don't uh, know. I'm just. Yeah, no. I, it, it's it's stupid. It's it's stupid to call them residents because I think that I, normalizes. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I kind of do because I think it normalizes a person's idea of what they're supposed to do in prison. Okay, let's I, say I let's say it's a small time offender. You let's say somebody jacks a car because they're seventeen years old and running with a bad crowd, mm. but now they're a resident at mm -hmm. a prison. Do yeah. you think that adds to the mentality that they're never going to get out of that cycle of? I, I think thinking? it depends on the air of the of the prison. If it's still the same hard ass prison, I don't think he's going to care what they refer to him as if he's like still. I don't know. In you know, know. in, in a shitty situation. I don't think that really matters. And if we look at uh, prisons that do do that, I, I'd be interested in seeing what else they do differently for their... Because, I mean, we need prison reform, so who th our shit don't work. So So when somebody I says, agree. like, oh, can you believe they're... like?" We should get rid of paid prisons hey, first. You're, you're right. Maybe that's how. Maybe that's I, how prison reform starts. I, yeah, Small I don't. Small changes like terminology and. Yeah, who I who knows? They're residents. I, they're I not inmates. <laughs> they're residents, well, and they're being reformed. I. We have a lot of issues in this country, and uh, I don't think racism has gone anywhere. For one thing, I mean, I don't think it ever will. No, no. But it, I think that's a different podcast. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, but getting back to Leonard Christopher, clear boning. He, he he's convicted of murder, and he basically hangs his life on two sex workers. And let's—I mean, he could pay a sex worker to say anything. That's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> like you can pay you can pay people workers. on the internet to say anything too nothing against sex workers let testimony you, you, you really want to trust first of all eyewitness accounts are is, never i was about to say that testimony is weak to begin with so it's never 100% it's i don't think it comes close to anywhere near 100% it's ever. It, it's the weakest form exactly. of of evidence in in court that's why eyewitness account isn't allowed anywhere near the scientific community in terms of evidence for anything because eyewitness don't mean yeah, that's, shit. That's the tale to be told. It's, it's, it's a very confusing, unsolved. Were there any other murders like that since then? That's an interesting question to pose because I feel like to if, be honest, after these, these certain set of victims, I didn't really like look beyond like look just beyond. That, but that would look up, we would have to look up like just police files of. Yeah. 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 I'd have, I'd have to get in access. I somehow. think if there were something similar than that, due to the gruesome nature of the murders, they would be advertised enough that somebody would probably call attention to it. Especially as time went on. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, yeah probably not. I, I, and Philly hasn't really seen a a string of murders like that mm -mm. in a long, long time. I think the Kensington Strangler was yeah. the uh, the last thing to come close that to. That was 2010, or I think so. Around then, that's another <clears throat> that's another tale to be told later. Yeah, which actually kind of brings me up to uh, something else I want to say. Hang on, so. 
while doing my own <clears throat> research and just compiling notes for this, uh, I came across, uh, across a podcast. Maybe you've heard of it. Twisted Philly. Love it. Twisted Philly. So if you liked or were interested in the story about uh, Philadelphia, maybe you're a local and you're, you want to hear some more kooky stories about Philadelphia specifically, check out Twisted Philly because that's where I, I heard a little bit of the story. And uh, I got to say, they do a pretty good job. Shout out to Dina at Twisted Philly because she does an awesome job. Everybody over there does a great job. Yeah, thanks again for listening. Um, there's a little bit of a gap between this one and the last one. I think we put out our, our little mini-sode since then. Yeah, and hopefully we'll be able to do more of them. Mm-hmm. And um, we just had a lot going on. Yeah. Uh, recently moved and um, set up our new studio space. The case we were working on had some details unfold, which uh, unfortunately means we had to put that case on the shelf. So that delayed yes. us by like two weeks. We're, we're in, uh, well, me specifically, I'm in some light communication with a specific person that's her her sister's story is uh, very important and we're going to be working on that in the future. Yeah. So shout out to Sarah Dina, shout out to Kevin McLeod for all the music and everybody that is uh, listening. Yeah. Even though uh, we have our gaps in mm. activity. Yeah, we told ourselves it wouldn't happen, and lo and behold, sure but enough, it did. I think we uh, we're just like everybody a, else. We said it enough times. We're amateur. This is amateur hour here, and we're going to try our best. If uh, we get anything wrong, just let us know and. We'll do our Let, best next time. Even, let's, even let's, harder. Let's tell them the truth. We're not the best people at keeping schedules, even <laughs> our own. No, that's we need to work on it. But this something is something I'm willing to work yeah, on. I'm willing to work on it because uh, this is this is fun for me, especially about the historic cases in in the city, in the city specifically. Yeah, this is cool to hear about. Yeah, on that podcast. And if you like, James said, if you're if you're local, it's always fun to learn about the city it's cool to hear something to aspire to if you're not it's just another cool twisted crime podcast to listen to Mm -hmm. it's uh highly recommended Mm -hmm. from the both of us Mm -hmm. um other than that thanks for listening thank you for listening if you'd like to reach out to us you can reach us on twitter at a dark tale pod uh, same thing on the on the gram there. <laughs> Got a few pictures, and um, yeah. yeah, email us at darktailpodcast at gmail for any questions, comments, inquiries, stories. Uh, stories. Share, us, share us a local story. Please send us your hometown horror, and we will happily share it with the interwebs. <laughs> and um, I guess that's it for this time around. Yeah, see you next time. Peace. Watch yourself on Frankfurt Avenue because evil could be anywhere. I'll be there tonight. (laughs) Unrelated. (laughs) Be safe. Have fun. never given justice because her murder was never found and caught. The other eight women, those murders are still unsolved. And as for that self-proclaimed minister who was the slasher suspect, investigators say he died of natural causes shortly after police questioning. 
but detectives did take a DNA sample from him. The sample that we've learned is currently being compared to old DNA from slasher victims as a way to finally solve this 30-year-old killing spree.